Uh, we love talking about uh, uh, UFOs and things like that on uh, on the show. And I'd like to welcome to uh, to the show uh, Tom Reed, who actually experienced a UFO sighting and abduction. We want to hear his story. And then Judge Kevin Titus uh, from the uh, 30th court di- uh, District Court is uh, is here as well. Uh, Tom, hello. Hey, how are you? Good. And uh, Kevin, hello. Good morning. How are you? All right. Uh, Tom, a fascinating, fascinating uh, story here. It dates sure. back to September 1st, 1969. Um, Which was a holiday, by the way. Was it Labor Day? Yeah, it was Labor Day. Yeah, yeah Labor Day. Um, so, September 1st, 1969. How old were you then? I was nine and a half. Nine and a half, and yeah. um, you experienced um, not only just the sighting of a UFO, but an abduction as well. Uh, please tell us the story. Well, first of all, I've never in my life said I was abducted. Oh. <laughs> Just so you know. Okay. Now, the media will tell you that. I've never said that. Okay. Uh, we had an experience, sure. Um, we were uh, leaving our diner. It was, uh, like I said, Labor Day. It was a very uh, hot afternoon. It was probably uh, right around 90 degrees that day. So um, it was unseasonably hot. And um, we were. I was on a station wagon, my mom's station wagon. And my brother was to the right of me in the back seat. My mother was driving. My grandmother was in the passenger seat. And I was riding a horse show that night, and so we were getting kind of a late, you know, um, it was a late night for us, and we were heading home through a shortcut through this bridge, which is the infamous Sheffield-covered bridge now. And um, as we entered the bridge, we had um, seen uh, what looked like um, maybe uh, some odd lights coming through the uh, the planks of the, the bottom of the bridge, and it uh, didn't seem to uh, line up with our headlights. And that was the first thing my grandmother had mentioned. You know, obviously didn't think too much of it. We entered the bridge, and by the time we had come out the other side um, and off to the left side of the car, um, I was actually giving my brother a candy. You know, some say I was giving him a lollipop. It was actually a fireball, one of cinnamon fireballs. And um, my grandmother had turned around from the passenger seat to remind me that it probably wasn't a, a good idea. He was too young. He could choke. And when she turned her head around, she actually had seen this um, sphere, if you will, um, rise up from what would have looked like the banks of the, the river. I don't know if it had come out of the water. I only saw it when it was rising up from the banks. And it was probably, uh, I'm going to say, maybe 30 feet around. It was uh, looked like a bubble if you had, uh, you know, like when you took as a kid, you had the bubbles and you blew a bubble. I mean, it looked like a round, self-contained sphere. And um, on each side of it, it had um, some rods of light, which were very focused, which kind of came down out of the sides of it, almost forming what looks like um, a sugar cone, I guess, which is how ancient aliens um, d- depicted it. And um, those rods went back into it, or they just kind of faded out or what have you. It was young. And then we just had this sphere again, which was hovering maybe two and a half to three stories high. And it had um, gone in the direction we were going. It had gone away from the vehicle our car, and then kind of circled around and going in the same direction we were going, but behind a line of trees. And um, at that point, my brother um, was looking around, too. He was on the other side of the car, and he happened to spot a second one also over the water, which was more orangey in color. And it was lower. It almost looked like it was just hovering or, you know, um, right over the Housatonic River, right over the water, whereas this one was now over a cornfield. And... um, 
so my mother came down uh, the road, kept going. It was, um, like I said, it was uh, the windows were open. It was a hot night. Um, we were trying to find this thing through the trees. We could no longer see it for whatever reason. And uh, there was a telephone pole there. And she pulled off next to the telephone pole. There was a clearing to the left. And while we were looking for this white sphere, if you will, uh, my mother had noticed that there was, she was the first one to see it, really, that there was this third object, which was, you know, more of a typical type of a disc-shaped object. Um, and we were just captivated. I mean, we were just staring at this thing. And um, so to put this into perspective, we were actually in the middle of three objects. And all of a sudden, we felt like we were... Um, it was, if you've ever been in the middle of a hurricane, I lived in Florida for a long time, so I'm really um, sensitive to barometric pressure change. And it was like when you're in the eye of a storm, all of a sudden everything's just oddly quiet, very okay. still, Tom, not Tom, a sound. Tom, yeah. We yeah. Have to, we have to take yeah. a break. Uh, continue okay. with the story. We have to take a break. As soon as we get back, continue with the story. Uh, Tom Reed is with us, and we'll talk with. Uh, and uh, we'll talk with uh, Judge Kevin uh, Titus as well uh, about this UFO uh, experience that happened uh, to Tom back in Jillio on 720 WGN. Uh, Tom Reed experienced a UFO sighting and an abduction. He was telling us the story before we took a, bro- a break. And uh, Judge Kevin Titus from the 30th District Court is uh, here as well. Tom, uh, continue with your story, please. Yeah, so um, we were uh, in the middle of these three objects, if you will, parked on this um, dirt road next to a telephone pole, which is still there to this day. And... Um, Again, the environment was affected by these three objects, whether or not they were something they were working in unison with each other or uh, what have you. But we felt almost as if we were underwater. You know, you go deep in a pool, you can hear a tapping sound and it echoes, but everything else seems to be muted. But the sound, these little sounds that you hear seem to be amplified. That's kind of what it was like. Mm-hmm. And um, and so at this point, we were just focused on the disc that was in the field. I mean, we were all just looking at this thing and trying to make out what it was. I mean, we really didn't have, I mean, it was silent. It was hovering. It was huge. It was probably about a, a, you know, I was younger, so it seemed bigger, but I've been back there a lot. So I look at the area and I remember where it was, you know, we've been there with my family and, and it was about a hundred yards. I mean, it was a big, it was a big um, vessel. Wow. And, um, and so to give you an idea what it looked like for your listeners, um, the shell itself, I've always referenced it as looking like a turtle shell, and uh, and it did. It almost had a slight luminous to the shell itself, the top of it, and it had almost a pewter-type finish. There was like a bronze or, or um, brass-type color to it. It wasn't one solid color. It wasn't a shiny silver like you hear about or see on you know the news or what have you. It was kind of uh, tarnished with different colors within it. And it um, appeared to have a, a texture to it, lines in it. And I'm not going to say panels, but it it had a, a, a you, it had a pattern to the outside of it. And uh, the center of it, around the middle of it, was very uh, like a fat and kind of a wide middle section. 
uh, nothing came to a point or it was very much, uh, you know, the middle of it was larger than the top and bottom of it. If you were to look at it with respect to a typical, you know, what a UFO, I guess, would look like. And so that's kind of what it had. Um, as far as the outside, that's kind of what it um, looked like. It was a dim glow from underneath it. It uh, hovered silently. Um, and again, it wasn't just one solid color. And so we were kind of looking at the colors of it. The right side was a little more uh, yellowy or bronze looking than the left. Um, and whether or not it was put off these colors or if this was just from the, you know, from the moonlight that the way it was hitting it, we don't know. But then all of a sudden the, um, the car kind of lit up. I mean, it was just like, I could see the inside of the car. I could see my mom. I could see the back of her head. I could see the interior of the car and then bang i mean it was just like all of a sudden these crickets and katie's exploded and it was just a change in the environment all of a sudden we felt more awake it was a very weird moment and then we went out and um and so when we uh i say come to or whatever because i don't know how we were taken from the car which is why i don't use the word abduction because i have no idea who took us out of the vehicle mm. but my grandmother and mother were now reversed, and several hours had gone by. So my grandmother was the first one to come to in the car, and my mother was not responding. My brother wasn't responding. I was out. So my grandmother took the station wagon. She had to turn the car on now. The ignition was now off. She had to turn the ignition, put the headlights back on, and when we stopped, the car was running with the headlights on. So the ignition was actually turned off. She, we had no idea, or my grandmother had no idea at this point, how long of a period we were out. So she drove down um, Old Covered Bridge Road, turned around and went back to town because we were only maybe a mile from town, whereas our house was about seven miles away. She went for help because everyone else in the car was out. And when she got to Silk Store, which is in downtown Sheffield, they were still open, but again, it was Labor Day, so they were staying open later to like 11 o'clock. And she had walked into Silk's and... Um, you know, looking for help, I guess, if you help for what. And uh, once you got out of the car, the door had slammed. I think that's what jarred me and had me wake up. And I had followed her into silks, and she kind of was not herself. She um, was uh, in disarray. She got caught up with some bikes and strollers that they sold in there. And uh, I was grabbing her hand, like, Nana, Nana, let's go back outside. And, you know, I, I was not myself either. And... Um, we walked back out into the um, the green, if you will, in front of our diner, which was right there, too. And uh, by the time I got out, my mother was um, awake, I guess you could say, and my brother was still unconscious. And uh, at that point, um, we had driven home. And it was the next morning that uh, we were in the diner, and all these people were calling in on the radio station and saying they saw this thing. And, of course, then, you know, we talked in depth about it, and um, that's kind of how the the uh, diner itself became uh, famous on its own, I guess, because that was where all the talk kind of um, started from. And that's uh, that was the hub for conversation. Wow. So did you encounter, you encountered some beings as well? Well, as far as 1969 goes, I have a lot of strange memories of what happened in the, that time frame. Um, I remember... Um, Seeing or being in what looked like a large airplane hangar. Um, I remember seeing some odd figures. I remember um, 
you know, hearing my mother call for me, um, you know, wherever we were was much bigger than the craft we saw because where we were was like an empty Walmart. And I mean, if you were to take a typical Walmart and just remove everything, um, that's kind of the space I was in was massive. So it was not the craft itself. And um, so we've toyed with the idea, you know, with the Minuteman missile sites, the, you know, the command aerospace, Pratt and Whitney, Sikorsky, you know, where were we? We really don't know where we were or how we got there. Um, and, um, you know, we've got an awful lot of people who, um, you know, judges and lawyers and bankers and historians and that uh, really have gone on a limb for us because this is such a widely witnessed event. And at the same time, when you really don't know where you were, you really don't want to um, overstate. You know, you have to be palatable and remain, you know, open to what could have really happened. Um, but uh, we were definitely removed from the vehicle. There's no question. And what we saw was off-world. No question. Um, we were affected um, a great deal by whatever this was or these fields that um, had hit our car. Um, you know, some people have... Uh, Suggested that maybe the neurons in our head were were affected by this ELF, which was um, quite prevalent, uh, you know. But uh, we all remember very similar things. We all remember, um, you know, you know, seeing things that that, that to this day um, question, you know, are you know what was it? Um, but then again, um, you know, there were. 250-some-odd witnesses to this thing. Um, 15, uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know if you know this, went to the um, United Nations in 1992. Uh, to, do you know about that? October 2nd, 1992, um, this actually went before the United Nations. And, um, and one of the reasons that it did go to the United Nations was that there was the Hudson River Valley uh, sightings, and that was something that uh, was big in the 80s. You know, everyone had kind of in the area knew about the Hudson River Valley sightings. And so this uh, attorney who knew my father, my father was an attorney, my father was also a politician, and he approached my father and said, you know, would you mind if we used your uh, case in, in, in Sheffield, Massachusetts, um, to kind of add some credibility to the Hudson River Valley case because it was also up the water, you know, you're an attorney, that kind of thing. And so my father said, sure, Is, you know, I do have aspirations, please don't go too far with it, but absolutely you can mention our diner and so on and so forth. And um, later on, when my father um, was writing a book about all this and had the documents that he had got back from the U.N., my father lost his life on the very same date. Not the same year, but October 2nd. Mm. And so that's kind of what drove historians, and that's kind of what drove the community to say, well, you know, he was advocating something that was very difficult for locals to deal with, for locals to talk about, and so maybe we could do something in return for him. And, um, and that is why... Uh, the uh, historians got together. I got contacted way back when, and uh, we ended up um, getting. Uh, uh, we got a letter from the Historical Society that they were going to do something with it, a Remembrance Day of some kind. And my father got a bench in his name, that kind of thing. And then a couple of weeks later, in February 2015, uh, we um, we found out that it went to a census, and they actually inducted it into United States history uh, because there was. So many witnesses, you know, I passed the polygraph test that, you know, there were, uh, you know, there were medical records. There were uh, so many things that just corroborated what happened. And the fact that our diner for so many years had 
this friction. We had a lot of New Yorkers coming in, you know, the astute coming in from Albany and, and Hartford that were going to bet on the races because we had horse track in town. And the diner that we had wasn't too far from the horse track. So we had a lot of locals, and we had a lot of people coming in from out of town. And, of course, when you talk about UFOs back in 1969, and you got a 29-year-old single mother running the diner, you know, she kind of falls prey to some comments, and that kind of happened. And you had people sticking up for her, and you had people that were rude. And, and so there was this dynamic, and the police department was only a, a stone throw away from our back door. So the chief of police would come in our diner to keep the peace. And so with that, there were um, not police reports, but there were, you know, back in the day, you didn't arrest people for a little push and shove. It was like, Billy, go home, you're drunk, you know, that kind of thing. So, but Galata, who was in the show, his father was actually the chief of police in town, and he basically lived in her diner to keep the peace. So in 2015, they had shown that the, or the way it was worded to me was like, you know, Billy the Kid altered the railroad. Therefore, he was historically significant. Mm. Well, our diner altered the natural progression of the community. Therefore, the event as a whole was true. And so there was no question that these people saw something. It was just a matter of what was it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's the way it was way back when. It was, well, could you have seen this? Could it have been this? And, you know, so we have so many people supporting us. And we've got written documentation. We go back and forth with the historical society, the governor inducted us into state. You know, so there's an awful lot of people that just say, you know, Tom, just be very cool at how you mention it. Be palatable. Don't say too much. Right. We got your back, but don't make us look stupid. Right. We don't want egg in our face. And that's kind of where we are. You know, how do you make sense of something that doesn't make sense? How do you word it? Because there's only so many places you can go with it. Yeah. So to be honest with you, I know we were extracted from the vehicle. There's no question. Um, I was out. How do I really know what happened? So there, I have to be open, and I don't want to uh, overstate. But um, we saw something extraordinary. Yeah. There's okay, Tom. Tom, hang on, okay? Yeah. Hold on. You got it. Uh, and, yep. uh, and Judge, hang on. Uh, Tom Reed is with us. He's telling us about his experience with the UFO sighting uh, and more. And uh, we'll talk with uh, Judge uh, Kevin Titus as well about this whole uh, incident uh, right here on uh, 720 WGN. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio. We're here till uh, 4 o'clock. Tom Reed uh, is telling us about his experience with a UFO sighting and encounter. And uh, Judge Kevin Titus from the 30th District Tort is uh, with us as well. And um, Tom, let me ask you this. How did your, uh, so the, the town and your family, how did you process all of this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, It was very difficult. Um, We were really the only family talking about it because, uh, you know, when you came into our diner, I mean, everyone else was coming in. uh, Here's something else that they didn't mention on Unsolved, too. Our diner, when my mother used to run a tab, you know, back in the day, I don't know if you remember, you know, people just ran tabs for people, pay on Friday. And so my grandmother um, agreed. My grandmother actually ran it. Um, my mother was there a lot, too, but she basically ran it. And um, we used to have banana seed bikes back in the day. So all these kids in the neighborhood had these bikes. And we used to store them in the back for everybody. And um, we 
had a uh, had a uh, a jukebox, an old um, Wolitzer jukebox. In there. So I'm hearing back back talk here. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah. And I don't know where it's coming from. So um, anyway, um, if you want to listen to music, or whatever, because it was out in the middle of nowhere, basically. You know, you Great Barrington was a pretty good sized town, but the radio station went off the air at five. So you know, we had a, a jukebox. And so if anyone wanted to hang out or whatever, you came to the diner, had a shake, listen to a jukebox, and so it was a social spot. And, of course, you know, we had we had the, the bikes for the kids, so they would all come in, have breakfast together, walk or ride their bike to school, as a, as maybe 20 or 30, 30 of us would, because they're right across the street from the school. And then after school, everyone would come back, have those shakes or hang out, listen to music, and their local you know, the fathers, you know, who were farmers, you know, so they were up at five o'clock in the morning milking cows or whatever. So by three or four o'clock, they've already had three or four beers, right? So it got kind of difficult after school and, and it was difficult to deal with the, the, the comments and the, the rudeness. And my mother used to reference this table of four that would just be obnoxious, you know, and, and so that, was difficult. So we kind of clammed up, you know, after a while you're like, there's no point in talking about this anymore because it's, it's not helping anybody. Yeah. And even though there were a lot of other people in the area that saw it, like the kids all went to school, went to Sheffield center school and we were all drawing these sketches and they were, the teachers were taking them up on the chalkboard in fourth grade and people were talking about it on the school bus. And, and so it was one of those things where you couldn't help but talk about it. But once you did, you know, it was kind of like, you can't jump into the subject with one foot, right? So um, it was tough. And then you try to back out of it and you go, we don't really want to deal with it anymore. And so my mother decided to sell the diner and we moved to Great Barrington and um, started over, started life over there. And it wasn't too far away, but it was enough that, yeah. um, you know, it was, a, it was a fresh start. And Great Barrington is actually the historical society that decided to move forward and induct it, not, not Sheffield, but. But um, so to give you an idea, yeah, it was um, yeah, there were fights. It was um, just it was a, a tough time, and uh, and uh, but you know what? Uh, what at the end of the day, a lot of us stuck together. We never wavered, and together as a community and as a, a group, we we made United States history. Mm-hmm. Now, Judge, uh, when did you get involved in this story? Okay, um, it was about 2015. I had just got out of the military a couple of years ago, and um, I spent 23 years in the military. I was living in Texas, and I came home back to my home turf, which is in Litchfield County, the northwest corner of Connecticut. And uh, one day my wife and I were just traveling around uh, briefly up in the Sheffield area, and we went to the old cover bridge I used to know in the meadows. It used to be a great eating place for all kids with a drive-in. It used to be there back in our days in the 60s. And uh, we went over to the bridge, and my wife just crossed the um, the bridge, and Deanne and I looked at this plaque, and this plaque said, oh, well, it could be a historical plaque about something about Chase Rebellion, I thought, in the area. And I looked down, and it, it, it talked about the, the UFO incident of uh, September 1969, and as I read through it, I saw the name Thomas E. Reed. And I eventually said, wait a minute, I know the Reeds. My grandparents knew the Reeds. Uh, I believe his father used to beat the town selectman, like my grandfather at one time, and he was a renowned doctor, and everybody knew knew um, the Reeds. And my um, grandfather was uh, one of the few people that Tom's Reed's dad would call James. His name was Jim, and uh, I mean James W. Ryan, but only friends would call him Jim. So anyhow, 
the story was I saw the marker and I immediately made contact with the Sheffield Police Department and said, can you please get a hold of Tom Reed if you can? I'm an old friend of his. We, are, we came from the same neck of words, but I want to make sure that's the same one. So after we did, uh, about a week or two later, Tom called me at my home and we started to uh, you know, remembering and talking about things and people we knew. And the next thing I knew, Tom and I knew that we all kids knew each other at one time way, way back. And uh, we came from a very small community. There was more than, a, you know, like a thousand people lived in this area. And uh, so anyway, I called Tom, and Tom came back up from uh, his home in either Florida or Tennessee. And he came up, and we decided to uh, get together and talk about it. And it was old times. We, we remembered friends and family and things of that nature. And I was also, I'm also a very well-renowned historian as well as uh, as a judge. And um, I have was uh, called in to, um, you know, he asked me if I could look into this matter and maybe see if there's something to do make it uh, a little more noted. I did research, did document searches and things like that. Uh, Tom also provided me with documents from the governor of Massachusetts and uh, also from um, the uh, Great Barrington Historical Society. Uh, and things of that nature, and we all got together, and after did some research and uh, knew that something happened that same time because I was visiting my grandparents that weekend, that Labor Day of 1969. I was about 11 or 12 and uh, visiting them, and uh, it, uh, everybody in that area for a 12-mile range from Great Barrington down to about Canaan, Connecticut, um, it was spotted by close to over 250 people, and I happen to know... Uh, an experience with my neighbors and uh, my grandparents all uh, looked up and saw something strange that day. So then I did some more research with the government. I found some government archives that had verified that something um, happened weird that weekend. Um, there were no helicopters and no airplanes uh, were listed, but there was a radar tech. They had a reserve base, which is now the Great Barrington Airport now private airport, and they used to have uh, military reserve units, air unit up there, and they used to experiment with uh, aircraft and things of that nature, and uh, well, they called, and they, the report said that they had nothing unusual, but they uh, nothing that they had put up, such as a helicopter plane, and the next thing they're saying is that, that they did record something was strange that was seen over a 12-mile range, it would seen by so many people, and they recorded it, but they couldn't explain what it was. Mm. And then there was a WSBS radio. Um, people are calling in to Tom Jay down there, and uh, people are going crazy about something they were seeing, and they were reporting there were panic in the area. So there were documents about that, and there was a couple newspaper articles that stated something had happened on that day on September 1st of 1969. Yeah, so can, I can, I together, can I say something real quick? Go ahead, Tom. So, yes. so, yeah, so what was interesting about the show, too, they showed the Great Barrington Police Department open up this binder from 50 years ago. Which and this, by the way, binder. the show that you're talking about is a, uh, uh, an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, uh, Berkshire's UFO, yeah. yeah so I, the, the, police, the police department, they show the Great Barrington Police Department open up this binder. And, uh, I mean, it's a 50-year-old binder, and it was a holiday weekend. They're showing two, uh, you know, two, epi- you know, two uh, uh, police reports or re- reports of some kind, incident reports. And uh, we're, we're all looking at this thing going, are you kidding me? It was a holiday weekend. It, was, it, it should be packed with, you know, uh, reports. And look at the, the following day. And even Sheffield, which was, my God, a, a, a tenth the size of Great Barrington, had several, but they never actually showed them. I mean, Galata was on the show going, oh, my father, you know, we went out in a police car we were looking for. He was getting reports all the time, so we knew something was happening. Why didn't they ask for those reports? I don't understand why they focused on Great Barrington with a binder that obviously 
you know, was missing some pages in it. Mm. But um, Kevin's right. There were a lot of reports. And Tom Jay was a ham radio operator, and he actually called the police department and got the names of the people who called. The reason Tom Jay and the radio station had so many people on the radio the following day in our diner, which was heard by so many people, was because the Great Barrington Police Department gave him their names and phone numbers because they had called the police department. Now, it wasn't and a there crime, were, so there's not there also a, yeah. extreme, there, He recorded, uh, he liked to do a lot of polka music, John, Tom G., but he recorded all these recordings for people calling in, and we're still trying to find those original recordings. They're still, like, missing. Uh, they and, were actually rebroadcast. put a lot of validity on a lot of this. Yeah, and um, I, Tom Jay's wife is still alive today, and she remembers it. And um, we were told, and I think you know this, um, Kevin, that uh, uh, WSBS Radio um, is trying to locate the tapes. There is a possibility that they're at Tom Jay's family's house in Arizona. Um, the WSBS was rebought, was purchased by another uh, company, and um, a lot of those tapes were given uh, to uh, his son. So I don't know how if it's ever going to materialize, but there is, an op- there is a chance that they might still have them because they did replay them in, ni- in, the, in the 80s, mm. sometime in the, within the 90s. So they were around in the 80s, um, and I think that was probably because the incident was going to the, um, you know, to, uh, the United Nations in support of 33-426, which is why it's in the Roswell Museum. But um, So I'm guessing that if they still had them in the 80s, then they've got to be somewhere. Yeah. So okay. we're keeping our fingers crossed for okay. that, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, gentlemen, hold on. Uh, Tom Reed is with us, who had an experience with a UFO uh, back in 1969. And uh, Judge Kevin uh, Titus from the 30th Court District is with us. We'll uh, talk about uh, this uh, a UFO, actually a UFO park that uh, we want to talk about, and some other things as well, um, right here on 720 WGN. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the uh, Skyline studio in downtown Chicago. Coming up after uh, 1 o'clock, Herb, the consumer man, Weissbaum, is going to join us. He is a consumer reporter and uh, joins us uh, once a month to answer any and all of your questions about uh, scams or consumer issues and to talk about the latest consumer news. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. The news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. We are speaking with Tom Reed, who experienced a UFO uh, uh, encounter, and uh, Judge uh, Kevin Titus. Um, and uh, uh, Tom, tell me about the UFO park. Yeah, um, so back in 2015, um, and this has been something that has uh, been uh, turned on its head, too, um, but Tom Sheffield actually unveiled um, a monument, and uh, it was actually paid for um, by it was a donation, um, the locals donated uh, whatever they could to build this monument or marker. It was never meant really to be a mar- monument. It was a marker. And um, it was actually large because, uh, and i got to tell you this, because where it was placed uh, was farming uh, farmland, so it was owned for farming. So you couldn't actually permanently adhere it to the ground. 
So they made it larger so that it couldn't be stolen. So this uh, monument that was paid for by the community, ABC News covered it live when it was unveiled in my honor, um, was placed in uh, this area not far from where we saw this uh, craft, if you will. And the reason it was able to be put there was what that the bridge had been um, blocked off since 1994. The road was not passable, so the the uh, county shut the the road down. And so this area that used to be like a turnabout became like a park today. And so they the town put the monument there. Um, a lot of people uh, were really supportive. I had uh, gotten a slew of sponsors. The Roswell Museum donated some money and some park benches and. Even Unsolved Mysteries has now donated a bench, uh, Travel Channel, Mission Declassified, Ancient Aliens, um, Factor Fake, Ben Hansen, uh, you know, Travis Walton from Fire in the Sky, Mike Barr from Ancient Aliens, an electric car manufacturer by the name of Shockwave Motors, all donated, uh, you know, benches. We even got a $7,000 telescope donated by somebody in Louisiana, uh, Gary Holloway. And um, and so with that, this area has just exploded and become like this UFO park. And um, and that's also um, been something that, um, you know, now there's like this rebranding effort. You know, there are certain people involved in this thing that think that maybe they should, you know, rebrand the park now. It's been the Tom Reed UFO Monument Park for a while. Now maybe we can make it more something that's more general for the community. And, of course, there's a couple of cunning people that are involved in that. One of them was actually in, in the show. Um, but um, with that, it's become such a tourist attraction. Now there's, hey, do, can we put a hot dog wagon in there? Can we sell ice cream? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I live a thousand miles away from the park. So, um, well, look, Tom, I was also, you, to have oh, a mark there. Judge, Judge was going to say something. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, we, we, needed, we also wanted to discuss what uh, these documents and what each means uh, that makes this park what's so unique and why it's in history the way it is. Um, this is a very important part for the historical aspect of this park. It's, there are other people that would like to make it um, something other than it is, and it, this, the historical aspect of this park is very important. The documents themselves, especially the, like the governor uh, signing a document saying that uh, it is accepted in Massachusetts history, is very big uh, with Governor Baker. And then you also have the documents in the Great Barrington Society. Although it did not take place in Great Barrington, they had a display in archives, I believe Tom had in the museum over there, and they want more or less to kind of make it their thing when it really took place in Sheffield. But the main thing here is is that when this document from the governor was brought to me and all these documents, I did research to make sure that everything matched, you know, the I's and the T's were all crossed. And when I got into the detail and research of this thing, it came completely clear to me that this was a historical event that needs to be documented. And with me sealing it and signing it, it made it part of history, which made it significantly true. And they have, in fact, a, a nice display with the papers, I believe, in the Roswell UFO Museum. And uh, Tom can tell you about that as well, but this was... Very, very important, and, and, and as far as um, we're trying to keep it as a historical park, a historical site, but there are some people, as Tom meant, that are trying to call it their park or something yeah, like there's that, and it's, there's, there's it's not correct. Uh, yeah, there, I guess there's some locals that think that, you know, and let's face it, I mean, there's always going to be that. It's a, right now it's a judgment-free park. I mean, there's I lease the land. 
you can hang out there all you want. There's no money to be made. We're not writing a book. I'm not selling anything. I'm not charging people to go to it. But I guess, you know, when you have so many people now coming into that park and that area, you know, there are locals that are going, hey, I got a hot dog wagon. I got an ice cream truck, you know. So, you know, that's going to happen. Um, but um, one of the things I want to mention to you that some of the things that have been circulated in the papers, um, even the Boston Globe picked up on this, and they, they really didn't accurately portray this. The governor issued two citations, not one. The very first citation from the governor, if you look at some of the articles, they'll say, oh, the governor said it was written in error. Well, the truth of the matter is the first one did have an error, and it didn't have a date of incident. And so two weeks after, the first one was actually um, – and Kevin knows this, he looked it over, the first one didn't have a date. So if you've got like a proclamation in your honor, a day of remembrance, or that kind of thing, there has to be a date in that letter so you know what date is. And, and the first governor's citation, and the lieutenant governor was on it too, did not have a date of incident. Mm. And so two weeks later, we were issued a second governor's citation to correct the first one. But the papers never tell you that. They don't say, hey, listen, you know, you know, the first one had an error in it. Not that it was written an error, but it had an error in it, and the second one was issued in November. And then we've got two letters from the Historical Society, you know, in, in Massachusetts, not one. We have two. We have two letters inducting us into history by the Historical Society and two by the governor and lieutenant governor, both sealed by Judge Titus. And so there's also lie detector tests. There's an awful lot of things that have a seal on it that are in this uh, folder, which is in a safe, uh, because this is a form of history. Now, it's, it's a pioneering form of history. It's not for everybody. Um, but then again, we're not celebrating the Jack the Ripper, right? This is something that's also bringing some entertainment and fun to the community. But at the same time, it is a form of history. And right now, with, with SpaceX and and start, you know, the whole thing with Trump and everything that's going on, it's, it's a good time to introduce this, too, because there's no doubt that this happened. There's no doubt that people saw something. There's never been a question. And it is inducted into state, and it has to be respected for that. And so that's one of the things that the show kind of, I think, you know, Kevin was actually filmed for the show. He didn't get on it. Why they cut him out of it, I'll never know. Um, I do know they wanted to follow um, the path of the craft and speak to those people that saw its track. Mm -hmm. um, and they wanted to focus on that particular day, September 1st, 1969. But they, you know, they didn't want to go, oh, you know, 50 years later it gets inducted. They kind of wanted to stick to that. But I still think that would have added and answered an awful lot of questions. I mean, a lot of it's circulating right now. But I, they might have missed the boat on that a little bit. They probably should have mentioned something to the effect of how important it was yeah now let me ask you let me ask you uh tom before we let you go here what did you think of the uh, unsolved mysteries episode oh i i think it was i think it was good um i i again i think they some of the documents probably should have gone in there it was the first time my mother has ever gone on record um she did one radio show maybe 10 years ago she's never been on camera before um for, to, for her to uh do that i think uh I was proud of her for that. I mean, it's not easy to talk about something like that, but she nailed it. And, um, you know, of course, um, you know, there, there was somebody in the program that I don't know if he added anything um, to it. You know, they're a um, little bit of grandstanding maybe, but I'm not going to say more than that. But, but um, all in all, I think it was a good show. Mm -hmm. um, I had been working with Cindy Boyle, who was the segment producer since 2015. This was something that, we had been talking about for five years. Yeah. 
And, uh, of course, it was supposed to, you know, air on NBC. Uh, and then, for whatever reason, that kind of, um, you know, felt, you know, was put aside for Netflix. And it took a while for Netflix to, to pick up the episodes. I think Netflix wanted all 12 episodes already shot before they took it uh, or, uh, you know, bought it. Yeah. So it did take a little longer to, to come out than we thought it would. But then again, um, I think that also gave them more time to, to find other local witnesses. So um, all in all, I think it was a good show. I think it highlighted the the, show, the uh, episode fairly well. But again, I would have liked to have seen Kevin in it. I think he added an awful lot to the, the program. I think uh, he deserved to have been in it. Kevin, did, you, uh, did they contact you at all? Um, uh, the only thing they've done since they uh, put it on the air was they sent me a two-minute clip uh, of uh, of that of maybe in eight hours of filming that I was there. I filmed for eight hours, and they loved the filming. They wanted to use it all, but you see, my opinion is they left out the, the, one of the most important parts, and that is the more the important. People are wondering now, why wasn't the historical significance, you know, why was the Judge Titus C. not taken out where he signed these documents? Everyone calls from these different places now are very interested about that historical significance, and everybody's been saying, why was it not shown in there? Yeah. And uh, that that is a little disturbing to me. They left out a lot of things, and there was a a, a member of the cast that, that I believe um, Tom mentioned that... Uh, uh, I think he really kind of uh, put what we call, um, I don't know, questionable um, a scene, and, and that yeah. bothered a lot of people. But I was very proud of the part I got to do it. I, okay. I just wish that they had you know, told it out okay. completely the way it should have been. Well, it's available on Netflix. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for sharing your story. Fascinating stuff. Uh, and uh, Kevin, thank you as well. Hey, can I mention one more thing? Really quickly, One Tom. last thing? Yeah, yeah really yeah. quickly. Um, there, you, you remember uh, Tiger King had that show, um, Behavior Panel, that goes along and interviews people from Tiger King or whatever to see if they're lying or not, they're yeah. behavior specialists. Yeah. They're actually working, they're actually doing our show right now. Oh, okay. So, um, it's actually on uh, YouTube, yeah, so okay. you might get a kick out of that. All but right, you can check that so out. Thanks so much for having okay. us. Okay, all right, there Thank you go. You. Uh, there you go, Tom Reed and... Uh, and uh, and Judge uh, Kevin uh, Titus, uh, fascinating stuff.